But in fact, that's what they're implying. They're kind of saying we all can coexist, because think about it. Don't all these religions currently coexist? I mean, for thousands of years we've coexisted, with the exception of one, Islam. As we saw last night with the, the young man in, uh, out in Oklahoma who cut the head off the girl, right? Is that coexisting? I don't think so. We don't see any of the other religions doing that. So, here's the problem. Barna, and I need to get this updated. I checked, This is the 2012 state of the Bible. I checked the 2013. You can't get the, the year to the, the next year. So you get 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014. But I checked the numbers for 2013, and I believe they're within a point of this, if I remember correctly. Barnett came up with this, and the, the question was asked in the state of the Bible, the beliefs about the Bible, the Koran, the, the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. 15% strongly agreed, 31% uh, somewhat agreed. That leads to a whopping 46% of Americans, at least that were polled, believe that. They're buying the bumper sticker. It's working. Here's the problem. Why is it important for you and I to be able to answer the coexist bumper sticker? And we, we are used to a generation of years past we talked about Jesus, but we can't talk about Jesus until we validate scriptures and miracles. Jesus is the only God that ever claimed to do miracles. Uh, then, so you can't talk about Jesus to validate the New Testament scriptures are not only valid, but superior to other religious writings and miracles. But you can't talk about that until you validate who God is and what God is and does God exist. But you can't say truthfully God exists until you get down the truth. This is where most of us end up today. You have conversations with people and you're getting stuck up here. Mind down and see where people, where people are at. Remember what Alex said. You know, ask people where they're at. You've got to ask questions and you find out where they're at. Now, if you're dealing with a conservative Jew, Jewish person, you might be up here. They're going to accept God. And they're going to accept half the, the Bible, the Old Testament, and they'll reject the New Testament, at least as not uh, the person of Jesus Christ in that history. And if you got a Hindu, you're, you're going to be down here because you have to decide what is what are you talking about. What is God? They believe in many gods. And God is all. So you've got to kind of come here. And then you can't even get here. But, and they all believe the truth is relative. So, see, this is a good template. I use this in many presentations because it applies to evangelism. We can't do evangelism without determining that what truth is and can it be known. Then we can establish, is there a God? And who and what he is will be de determined by the scriptures of any religion. We'll show that our religion is superior to the New Testament in miracles. And then we can talk about Jesus Christ. Okay? Religious pluralism. So what is pluralism? <clears throat> Um, it is defined briefly as uh, the belief that every religion is true and that each provides a genuine encounter with the ultimate. That's the technical term for religious pluralism. So that's why you'll, you'll have these interreligious. You see, it's amazing how the Muslims are leading the interreligious things that are going on right now. That's what they do. But notice how they'll never compromise. They'll never. You'll never hear one Muslim compromise, but you'll see the Christians compromise. Then you have all religions lead to the same spiritual truth. That's basically the same word as saying spiritual truth is a spiritual truth of who God is and what God is. Here's the three core beliefs of pluralism. A, all religions are truth, even if partially correct. Now, there's some truth in that. I mean, in Islam, they believe in God. 
Remember, there's only three religions that are theistic that believe in a single God. It's uh, it, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So there is some truth in Islam. Or to be obedient. Well, that's truth. It doesn't mean that just because there's truth within a religion doesn't mean the religion is true. Number two, no single religion can claim that they are true and that others are false. That's arrogant, narrow, and tolerant. Here's our three beliefs. And then number three, all religions provide the way to the desired eternal state. All roads lead to heaven. Hinduism will, has a whole different concept of what we would call heaven. They don't really believe a place called heaven. They believe that we're all scooped up in the Brahman, which is this oneness. So in other words, you're really not you, I'm not really me, and you're not you, and we're kind of this oneness. And we, you know, yoga, remember, what, what do you do in yoga? You meditate, and what do you control? Your breathing. Well, if you ever, I was in the University of Maryland, and I was taking a class, and the guy said, yeah, well, we, our goal here is to be able to control our breathing and slow it down so much that we stop breathing. Because once you stop breathing, you cease to exist. And when you cease to exist, then you realize it, it's all relative. You really did exist. It was like a movie picture. And then you get sucked up into this oneness of Brahman. If that sounds clear as mud, it is clear as mud. So, but that just shows you these three core beliefs of pluralism are kind of at odds with reality, truth, and logic. So, you ever heard, you've here seen the uh, analogy of the six blind men? Okay, good. So you have the six blind men and an elephant. And they blind, or blindfolded or a blind man, they bring the first blind man, he touches the ear, and they say, what is it? He says, it's a fan. And then the second blind man touches the side of the elephant, he goes, it's a wall. Then the third blind man touches the, the, the tail, he says, it's a rope. And the fourth blind man says, he touches the leg and he says it's a tree. The fifth blind man grabs the, the, the tusk and he says that's a spear. And then the, the last one touches his, 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 uh, what is, his, his trunk. Thank you. And then he says that's a snake. Where that word eluded me. So he touches his trunk and he touches his trunk and he says that's a snake. Feels like a snake, right? But really, this is the way the different religions are, right? You have Judaism. The pluralist will uh, will look at Judaism and Hinduism and Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, and they'll look at them all as different expressions of the same thing. So who has the truth? Well, it's the one guy who has his who has a sight that he can actually see. Remember, I was once blind, but now I see. It's the guy who has a sight that can see the reality of God. Now, it's the guy with his eyes open. And the truth is, it's an elephant in this case. It's not a tusk. It's not rather a snake. It's not a wall. It's not a fan, etc. So how do we know the truth? Well, Jesus claimed it for one thing. He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. And John 10, 1, 9 says, uh, 10, 1 and 9 says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Uh, I am, and it goes on to say, I am the gate, in, in verse 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, I think that's verse 9. Um, here, <coughs> what he's saying is, <coughs> is that if you try to give to God any other way than the Son through any other religion, 
you're breaking and entering, and you'll be put in jail. And if anybody watches the Veggie Tales, they describe hell as a place perpetual tickling. Is that what you have? We have that with our kids. And my kids are like, oh my gosh. So that's their. Uh, now I grab them at night, I get little tickles. I say it's time for them to go to the island of perpetual tickles. And they go, they love my tickles. I call it tickle time. So truth, number two. So we have what is pluralism? Number two, truth. Does uh, does it exist and can we know it? Number three, logical evidence for God. And then fourth, responding to pluralism. So now we're on truth. Number two, does it exist and can we know it? Well, don't all people uh, and religions... <laughs> And uh, thank you. Need some music. My daughters will love it. They're both playing the piano right now. So don't all people in all religions and in all cultures demand truth from every area of life? Really, I don't care what country you're in. You can't go to your banker. I mean, don't, when you go to your doctor or your banker, don't you want to know the truth? Well, maybe not your banker, but your doctor. You know, but if you had money in there, you'd want to know the truth. The court system. Uh, we want to know from the airlines. Okay, I'm getting on a plane. I. You know, I want to know that where I'm going to land and what time I'm going to land, I'm going to land safely. Those are the things that kind of make me feel good about it. And we expect that out of our pastors and Jews. We expect that out of their rabbis. And, and, and Muslims expect it out of their imams. <clears throat> what is truth? Anybody have a quick definition of truth? All right, I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. Truth is what corresponds to reality, number one. What corresponds to reality. And reality is truth, and truth is God. Truth, number two, truth is telling it like it really is. You want to know the truth about something? If you want to know what somebody thinks about something, don't ask them a question and, and, and think about it and come back the next day. That allows human error and sin to enter the equation. If I say to you, uh, I was uh, witnessing to some militant Palestinian Muslims in uh, Charlotte, and I came up to him and said, I said, do you believe that, you're going back many years now, I said, do you believe that apostasy is punishable by death? And he looked at me, yes. I asked him the same question three weeks in a row, and then he said yes, every time. And then like a few weeks after that, he comes to me, Steve, hey, tell you what, man, uh, I don't really think it's you know, punishable by death. And I think he probably got worried about what he said. And so he's going to lie, which is an acceptable behavior in Islam. And they have different, what they call doctrines of deception. And there's Tikrit and there's a couple others. I can't recall the exact names. But there are different times where they're allowed to lie for certain reasons. Uh, so he was allowed to, you know, by, by, but he spoke the truth. If you ever want to know something your spouse or children or your friend wants, if you ask him the question immediately, you're probably going to get the answer. You notice politicians, you ever seen them, especially in you know, the office of the president? And they're constantly thinking ahead of what, before they say it. It's because they don't, you know, if they just got out and spoke it. I mean, the most honest guy out there is probably Joe Biden. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. It's true, though, right? That's a guy who, you know, who, you want to know, he, he tells you where he's at. You know, he doesn't cover it up. You know, he did another one. He had another gap this past week. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, you've got to at least credit him for that. Then you had William Jefferson Clinton, esteemed past president of the United States. Remember when he asked the question, well, did you have sex with Miss Monica Lewinsky? And he said, well, what is sex? And they had to define sex. He said, well, it's oral sex. And they had to define oral sex. And then he, he knew he was losing the battle, so he said, what is his? What he was asking there is, what is truth? 
And most Americans couldn't answer the question because it's a very good philosophical question, by the way. And so they said, well, I remember people saying that. I can't really answer that question. And so, you know, what is is, I'm just going to kind of relegate him to a point of relativism. And that's what they did. So that's, hence, right for you but not for me. When you get into relativism, you're getting into a point where you're saying there's no right or wrong, no true or false. It's just whatever is right for you, right for you, right for me, right for me. Now, truth can be, now truth and ethics and morality are prescriptive. They say what you ought not do, right? They're like the Ten Commandments, or ethics. You ought not steal, you ought not murder. True and false, truth is descriptive. I murdered somebody. Did you murder somebody or did you not murder somebody? It's either true or false. So there's a difference there. They play in the same campground, they just describe different points of the, uh, of, the, of the actions and thoughts. So, truth can be defined as that which corresponds to his object. What is that? What is that? It's a, it's a coin. It's a gold coin. Now, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, for the, for the Hindu, he's going to say, well, we, you know, listen, it's a gold coin. You, we really can't tell it's a gold coin. It can maybe be something else. Well, can it be a bicycle? Well, sure. Okay, we'll go right down the street. I'm going to give you a gold coin and you can ride it down the street. I'm going to give you the gold coin. See, so it's what corresponds to his object. But let me tell you where I'm going with this. We know that everyone in here in this room looks different, right? I mean, you're, you correspond to your object. First of all, we all know you're all human beings. Then we know that there's things that correspond to your object because we know there's certain are ladies and certain are men, right? Those are different things. Now, there are people that get confused on that issue in today's world, but that's a different talk. Um, that will correspond to his object. Now, for all intents and purposes, let's apply that to God. Right? I mean, when you're talking about God, what is God? This is where pluralism gets it mixed up. You can't, you can't have what that which... Truth is what corresponds to his object. Well, Buddha and Christ look very different. They are very different. So they can't be the same thing. That's like saying, okay, I have a motorcycle and I have a skateboard. Both have wheels. Both give you transportation. They're just very different things. So, uh, or put, other, put, uh, put, uh, put otherwise, that uh, truth is what describes an actual state of affairs. All truth claims are absolute. Right? It's either true or it's not true. If you say, I'm not sure... That's it, right. If you say you're not sure, you're just playing in relativism. And uh, I asked a guy in my last class, I told the story, I said, hey, he wouldn't give up the truth. Is truth absolute? He said, uh, no. I said, well, is murder absolutely wrong? He says, I don't know. Then I asked him, do you exist? And he says, uh, I don't know. Because if he says yes, it's an absolute answer. Then truth exists. Because he can know truth. If he says no, it's absolute answer. So then he says, I don't know. So at the end of the day, you know, I told him, as I said in the last class, I could take my 45 out, shoot me in between the eyes, blow your brains out. I've done nothing wrong. Number one, it's true for me, or it's right for me. It may not be wrong, right for you, but it's right for me, not for you. I said, secondly, you didn't know if you exist. So if, if you don't exist, how can there's no, you know, there's no, there's nobody, there's no uh, victim in the matter. He just looked at me and he went off, I told you before, he went up, took a shower. I was shocked. That's when you just leave, you know? You stink in there and you just go, man. You just go, be offensive for a few hours to whoever you're around, and I wouldn't have gotten a shower. Now, all truth claims are absolute. They're also very narrow. They're very, very narrow. 
All religions are that way. Buddhism and Hinduism, or Hinduism in particular, will tell you that, you know, there's over 350 million gods. So they'll say, no, no, we're inclusive. We can include all these things. Yeah, but they're just as narrowly defined. They still have a definition. And their definition is just, while it includes anybody else, is just as narrow as all the others. Just as narrow. And it's just as exclusive. So what truth is, it's transcultural. It doesn't matter if you're in India. It doesn't matter if you're in LaGrange, North Carolina, New York City, or India, or Africa. One of the countries in Africa. Two plus two, or in outer space for that matter, is true for all people. Two plus two is true for all people in all places at all times, including outer space. I mean, if you are an astronaut, you're going to need mathematical equations to get back to Earth. So, two plus two for all people, all places, all times. Number two, unchanging. Truth is unchanging. Is our belief, or our are our beliefs, i got to correct that, about truth, um, our beliefs about truth change, uh, not truth itself. For example, the world once thought, that, you know, the people who populated the earth once thought that the world was flat, and the church endorsed that. Now, we found out that the world is a big marble, and it's round. Now, did the truth change? What changed? Yes, exactly. Our knowledge, our understanding of the truth. Number three. So truth is transcultural. It's un number one. Number two, it's unchanging. Number three, all truths are absolute truths. Even truths such as Stephen is warm uh, in Lord. I have a sensation of warmth. I'm warm in Lagrange, North Carolina, on the 26th. 26th of. September, 27th of September, 2014, at, you know, 1.15 after the afternoon. That's true for the guy in Alaska, or Antarctica, or Siberia. It's true for the guy down in Brazil, it's, you know, where it's 115 degrees. It's true for, and outer space, by the way. It's true for Steve Garibaldi, the sensation of warmth at this time and this place on this day. That's probably the best argument for truth that you'll come up with. You know, it doesn't... It, it doesn't mean that you're, I'm not saying, and it's true for you as well. If you're in Alaska and it's 12, 12 below, you know, and you're cold, it's true that you're cold and you're in Alaska and et cetera, et cetera. So here's a class question. Is truth invented or discovered? This is an interesting question. We talk about inventing things, inventors. No one really invents anything. I mean, these fighter jets, the, the, these aircraft carriers space capsule. We didn't invent any of that. We discovered it because of God's omniscient and he's omnipresent he's, and, he's, and he's infinite. He knew from before, outside of the time-space continuum, he knew of all the materials that he could go into something like it, build these things, and he knew how to do it. So we just discovered what God knew already. If we, just, if we invented it, then we would be God. Right? Gravity existed prior to, new, to, to Newton. He didn't invent, he didn't invent gravity. He just discovered it. So, whatever exists, Ecclesiastes 6.10 says, whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is smaller. Ecclesiastes 6.10. Here's a great example of truth. John 18.38. Remember, Pilate asked Jesus what truth is. He asked, what is truth in John 18.38? And remember, Pilate answered the question before Jesus could even give him an answer. Pilate himself gave an answer. What does this kind of indicate? It comes out of I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which is a great book. It indicates that he knew some truth. 
because he answered the question before he knew it, before he stated it, rather. Number two, by exonerating Jesus, he was telling it like it is. Remember? Telling it like it is is one of the definitions of truth. The Bible says God is truth, Psalm 33, 4, John 14, 6, John 14, 1. Jesus is God and claimed to be the truth. Rejection of the truth leads to a relative understanding of God, which in turn progresses towards skepticism, atheism, and agnosticism, and you're going to end up, at best, if you're not an, if you're not an atheist, you're going to, and you don't turn to another religion, you're going to end up as a religious pluralist, which is where most people end up. And pluralism defies logic. Let's look at that. Logical evidence for God. First principles. Who here has ever heard of first principles? I was in seminary, <clears throat> sitting next to my good buddy, Paul Doyle, and we had to teach different parts of the class, and he got first principles. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most complex thing that I've ever heard. And now, I show how easy it is, because we all use first principles. And so now when I was, I was in uh, Cary, North Carolina, doing a talk on it before my book was published, and I brought my friend's daughter out. I said, how old are you? She says, I'm nine years old. I said, let me ask you a question. Who's that next to you? She goes, that's my mommy. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Is that your mommy and not your mommy? She goes, no, that's my mommy. I said, there you go. Law of non-contradiction. It can't be your mommy and not your mommy at the same time. God can't be the God of Scripture and not the God of Scripture at the same time. Jesus couldn't have been crucified and not crucified. These first principles, and that's just one of the first principles I'll talk about, but these are the process of discovering all things. All of us use this process of discovering truths, which we begin with self-evident laws of logic called first principles every day. When you get up, you live, probably when you dream, you live by, you're, you're thinking of, in terms of first principles. They are called first principles because there's nothing behind them. They just are. Well, when you say, when I come to uh, home to play with my kids, and I know when I, my son comes over, I know it's not my daughter. I know that's a fact. So they are not proved by, uh, and there's nothing that proves them, they just are, they're self-evident. So here's, a, here's three of the basic laws uh, first of first principles. So you have, first of all, the law of identity. I think these are the three keys, key ones. Law of identity, non, uh, law of non-contradiction, number two, number three, the law of excluded middle. And so the law of identity we talked about, remember, truth corresponds to its object. Well, the law of identity says what that object is. That's a coin. Law of identity says, and we're talking about that. Number two, law of non-contradiction says it can't be a coin and not a coin at the same time in the same sense. Law of, the law of excluded middle says it either is a coin or it's not a coin. There's no third option. There's no middle option. So we could say the law of identity. Well, who is God? God is the God of Scripture. Scripture. God, uh, that's the law of identity, law of non-contradiction. God is either the scripture or he's not. And then law of excluded middle says either God is, exists or God doesn't exist. And either God's scripture is right or he's not. He can't be in something other than there's no third alternative. First principles are hard to, that are principles are, are how first principles rather, how they're used. This is a true picture. You know, this is like a unique shot. They have someone was taking pictures of a great white and a surfer in California. So if you don't believe in first principles, you can just say 
okay, is that a shark or is that a shark? It can't be a shark and not a shark at the same time. It either is or it's not. So for the person who wants to deny first principles, I would like to do an exercise. Put him in the tank with the shark and then tell me if that's a shark or not a shark. And tell me that he can't be sure it's a shark. I guarantee he's going to get out of the water. Why? He goes it's a shark. So first principles are tools we use to discover all other truths. And without them, you couldn't learn anything else. You like the monkey? First is the law of identity. What is this thing? It's a law that must identify be identical to itself. If we were not, um, a thing must be identical to itself, and if we're not, then it would not be itself. Either God is God, and just the God that we know, or he's not. It has to be identical to itself. Law of identity, uh, any entity without an identity cannot exist because it would be nothing. If we couldn't tell that that coin was a coin, what would it be? If it, if it had no identity. If something, here's a clock, here's a television, if there's no identity, in other words, if you couldn't tell what this was, what would it be? And if you say, no, it's a pile of plastic, it'd still be a pile of plastic, right? You can't imagine anything without an identity, because it wouldn't be. To exist is to exist as something, and that means to exist with a particular identity. And to have an identity means to have a single identity, and an object cannot have two identities. When people talk about God, when they get into this pluralism, they say, well... If, if if you had two gods, if you said Buddha, uh, Allah, and Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, were all the exact, exact same identity, okay, considering their spirit, pure spirit, could they be three of the exact same things if each one can only be one of them? There can only be one God. They can't, because if, if Buddha and Jesus were the same thing, they would be one, and they would have to share the same identity, or they're not the same thing. Does that, does that really mind-bending, or do you understand it? That's it. In other words, in heaven, if you said these are two of the exact same things, you can't have a clock and a wallet. It has, and you can't have two variations of the same of a clock. You have to be, if they were exactly 100% 100% the same way, then they would be the exact same thing. I mean, you can you can produce a million of those clocks. I guarantee you, a million of those clocks, you can find something different about each one of them. A scratch here, something there. Clear as mud? All right, so we're there. So, a tree cannot be a tree. Uh, a tree cannot be a truck, and Christianity cannot be Islam. The law of non-contradiction, number two. If a conclusion is false, we know the opposite is true. Say that the contradictory claims cannot be true at the same time in the same sense. We talked about that. In short, it says that the opposite of true is false. That's what it says. If something's true, the opposite is false. If something's false, the opposite is true. If I say it's raining outside, the opposite of that would really be, I guess, it's dark and rainy would be it's light and it's sunny would be its opposite. So God cannot exist and not exist, and Jesus cannot have been the only way to the Father and not the only way and, and, and the only way at the same time. God does not exist. If, if God doesn't exist, then it is false that he does not exist. The law of non-contradiction. Opposites cannot both be true at the same time in the same sense. The world cannot be flat and round at the same time. And you really, you realize there is a, there's a society I need for everything. You know there's still the flat earth society out there? 
people really Google it up, flat earth society. They all believe the world is still flat. And they believe that this is government conspiracy to, to just tell us that the world is round, but that the, that the world is flat. Anyways, I guess they haven't learned the, the law of non-contradiction. Here's a one, here's a, a, fate, a very well-known Muslim philosopher. This is what he said, Avicenna says, to anyone who denies a law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as to be beaten, and to be burned is not the same as to be burned. Now, that doesn't say it all. So, <laughs> I like to take the relativists of our day, and then maybe send them over to ISIS, and see what they think. I have a feeling they wouldn't be relativists for very long. And let me tell you something. People who say they believe in relativism really don't believe in relativism. Only philosophically do they... Do they, do they kind of apply relativism? Because it is right for them and not right for others. And, and I'll, I'll prove that. They don't go to their bank. If they really were true relativists, or relativism, believers in relativism, they could go to their bank and say, I want my million dollars out of the bank. I'm going to go buy a million dollar house. And Mr. Garofalo, you don't have a million dollars now. Okay, I'll take my $500,000. Mr. Garofalo, we can give you $5. That's what you have in your bank account. Well, no, it's $500,000 because it's true for me. Maybe that'd be true for you. And I guarantee you, they will give you free room and board the local penitentiary. It's very simple. And you'll be recruited by someone who likes Avicenna in prison called Nation Islam. <laughs> Number three, law of excluded middle. This just spills in the cracks. Either God exists or he doesn't. There's no third alternative. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. There's no third alternative. Here's the logical argument. All men are mortal. Steve is a man. Therefore, Steve is mortal. Is that true? There's two, two questions I have for you. Is it true, and is that a valid argument? Those are two different things. Okay. All men are mortal. Steve is a man. Therefore, Steve is mortal. The self-evident laws of logic tell us that the conclusion, Steve is mortal, is a valid conclusion. Now, laws, these laws, these first principles, don't validate the premises. In other words, although we use first principles to discover, to discover truth, uh, it cannot tell us whether or not a particular proposition is true. Let me illustrate this. Maybe all men are not mortal. Maybe Stephen's not a man. Hmm. Let me explain Argument number one. All men are four-legged reptiles. Steve is a man, therefore, Steve is a four-legged reptile. Is that true? Okay, good. What would you say? You said, yep. Yep. Steve is a four-legged animal. <laughs> My wife may say that. That's like, is that a dog or a man? Right? That's a pretty cool picture. All men are four-legged reptiles. You're, you're right on in that if one of the premises in any argument, this is a simple three-line syllogism, but you're going to see this on TV. You'll see, you'll see now liberals using logic. And they get you because it's a valid argument. Let me ask this question. We know that some of the premises are right. We know that all men are not four-legged uh, reptiles. But let me ask you this question. Is the argument valid from a syllogism, from, from an argument? It is valid. If all men are four-legged reptiles, and if Stephen is a man, it is true 
that Stephen is a four-legged reptile. That's the case. But you see, you'll see this on TV. I love watching the Fox debates, and I'm like, come on, guys. Just get the, you know, in any of the TV shows, if you're going to debate, you'll see them when they're making arguments, they'll come up with this elaborate, well, you know, and you hear, who's telling the truth? You get the left and the right, and they want you to use fair and balanced. You know why fair and balanced works? Because of the first principles. We all know when something's right or wrong, but they confuse you by, if you don't know that all men are not four, like, some things are obvious. Can we know that men are not four? No man is four-legged reptile. But if you put in here something about, you know, um, like last night, uh, you saw the sad case of the Oklahoma Muslim who cut the head off the girl. And, and the imam gets up. He says, ah, oh, man, he goes, no, 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 no. And they had the girl. It was a, I guess she grew up in the Middle East, and she was, she was calling it as it is. And he, the guy gets up. He goes, no, I think he was from Care. And he goes, he was a Muslim. And he goes, no. And, and, and Megan Kelly asks him, what is... What does Islam mean? Because it means love. It means peace. And the other girl goes, no, 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 no. Islam means submission. Now, nowhere in the world does the definition of Islam mean love or peace. It means submission. That's the meaning of the word. If you don't know that, you don't know this is not true. This is where you get caught up and you see the liberal arguments. And the arguments against God. So logically the argument uh, is valid, but we know that it's not true because one or more of the premises are not true, they're false. So here's, here's a simple what it comes down to. Here's an argument, a valid argument with non-truthful premise. Truth is relative. God is truth, therefore God is relative. That's a valid argument, but it's not true because truth is not relative. Truth is that here's the same argument with, truth, with a truthful um, Premises. Truth is absolute, which is true. God is truth, therefore God is absolute. You see how you can get those two mixed? And so you can put whatever you want in there, but when you're dealing with people from other religions, you can use that. You can use that to show them that uh, that they're, you can't have all religions lead to the same place. So if truth can be known, then truth about God can be known. This is the issue. Einstein himself, when he remembered the general law of relativity, you ever heard of that? Uh, thermodynamics. He, uh, Einstein discovered the formula showing that basically all, all energy and matter of, of, of the, in the universe is wearing down. And he didn't like that coming up with a conclusion because if it was wearing down, or winding down, it mandates an ultimate force, the existence of God, had to wind it up in the first place. If something's winding down, if you roll a top, or if you hit a ball with a baseball bat, and that ball is going to slow down as it goes further, right? Or hockey, whatever it is. It mandates someone put it into motion first. He didn't want to exist to be as the God. He didn't want to exist. He was a Jew, he was Jewish, but he was a pantheistic Jew. So, I won't get into that. Lastly, responding to pluralism. Learn to respond biblically. That's the first thing. Do not, you know, Genesis 34, 14 says in NIV, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's a pretty serious statement. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, this is heard Alex speak, this is the famous apologetics verse, is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, give a reason for the hope that's within you. And I think that's 
plays right into the Great Commission in Matthew. So here you go, responding to arguments that we're winding down here. So hang in there. Relativism. Absolute truth doesn't exist. What do you say to that? Are you absolutely sure? See how you're using logic and first principles to answer their own question? Relativism. Relativist. All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? Beep, beep. That's what Dr. Turk and Dr. Norman Geisler are saying. I don't have enough faith in the atheists. You know, the, the roadrunner. Beep, beep. You just kind of get them and you, know, you go away and they're like, because uh, you show that they contradict themselves. Truth is absolute and God is truth. All right, this is, this is Galatians 11, uh, 1, 1 to 10. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Talk, speaking to those who are distorting the true gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble, and want to, trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He's not necessarily speaking of other religions, but the distortion of Christianity. So this would pertain a little bit more to something like Mormonism or Jehovah Witness. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we were an angel from heaven, uh, even if we uh, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed, for I am now seeking the approval of man. Uh, 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 for I am... Uh, not seeking the proving of uh, the approval of man, or uh, uh, now proving the approving approval of man or God. It's a question. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We were talking about this before. People are more spiritual in today's world. We were having that conversation earlier. A gentleman came in and he says, "Man, youth today are very spiritual. Yeah, but they want God on their terms. They want to take the gospel, take the parts they want." and then throw out the parts they don't like, or make it fit kind of what they like. And the bottom line is, God is God, and He's all-powerful, and He created everything. I mean, and He knows everything. We don't. He, he doesn't move to us, we move to Him. Remember, the Barna research, 15%. Uh, somewhat uh, adequately agree that in the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon lead to the same spiritual truth, 31 somewhat, 46%. Why pluralism, pluralism fails within the last few slides. This is great. This is, takes it home. This is probably, we could have just stood on this slide and you guys could have went home. Uh, Islam versus Christianity. God is one person in Islam. I mean, there's no trinity. you got three persons in one God. Three who's in one what. Humanity is good by nature in Islam. It's simple by nature in Christianity. Jesus is merely a man or prophet in Islam. In Christianity, he's more than man. He's also God. Death of Christ. He didn't die and rise, according to Islam, but he died and rose again in the same body. The Bible's corrupted to Islam. The Bible's not corrupted in Christianity. Salvation is faith plus works when good deeds outweigh bad deeds. And not by work for Christianity. It's not by works, but all who... Uh, it's a free gift for all who accept it. Okay. Increase that slide space. These are very, these are really important issues. You can't, you see, how can you say pluralism is true? 
these guys don't agree on most anything else. I mean, I, other than the sense that they both use a book made of parchment or something or paper, you know. And so it's there's not a lot that you could say for for uh, for pluralism there. Now let's look at Christianity. As, let's look at Hinduism. They believe in many gods, polytheism, Christ, a theistic spiritual being, three in one persons, Jesus. He's one of many holy men. In Hinduism, he's, you know, in Christianity, he's one and only Son of God above all. Sin, to Hinduism, humanity's problem is ignorance. There's no really such thing as sin. In Christianity, humanity is a state of moral rebellion against God. Salvation, uh, in Hinduism, enlightenment brings a man from humanity to God's, to God with man's effort. And then in Christianity, there's only one way to salvation through Jesus Christ. Those things are very incompatible. Each individual religion rejects this notion and claims its way to truth. They all claim that their way is true. And religious pluralism denies each, uh, each religion its own core beliefs and traditions. So take the religious part out of it. Let's just look at traditions. You've got to go to Hinduism and all these years and Islam and tell them everything you did in your culture is completely wrong. Because now I believe in... That's okay if you have the truth, but in pluralism... You're saying they all know. So you have to tell all of them that they believe is wrong. And then religious pluralism that is self-defeating and intolerant. The problem with this argument from tolerance is that it's, uh, it's intolerant, it's inflexible, and it leads to a great amount of disagreement and offending all religions. And remember what Jesus said, I am the way, no one comes to the Father except for me. This is the key. There are many ways to Christ, but Christ is the only way to God. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is religious pluralism in a box. Thank you. What do you guys have in terms of questions? Was that clear or was that too technical? What do you guys think? Clear as mud? A lot to think about. Yeah, yes. <laughs> And then I threw a lot at you with first principles, you know, that, that was kind of a long presentation, perhaps. So. But I wanted to, it, it is a good nutshell, that's why I put it on the web. You can download it in here all over again, and that might be helpful to your, you know, your process. Warm in here, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I was complaining last year, last couple of years, I would get at least one talk in the ice maker. I would be, I would be in the ice maker today. But yeah, you see what happens. It, 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 the bottom line is religious pluralism is so weak. It's just, it's what it is. It's an emotional non, box of non-truth. It just doesn't, if anything, it's just, it's, it, it's, there's no truth in it. It contradicts itself awfully. So it, um, things can't be, it, it, all religions just can't be the same thing. So when you're sharing Christ with people, you know, in evangelism, you may find someone that, that believes in religious pluralism. And maybe the God, Jesus, I'm always down the truth. you got to kind of gauge where they're at on there and then kind of plug them in. you got to listen to where people are. you got to hear them. And like Alex, you got to be friends with them, kind of build that trust. There's an element of friendship and trust that you add into scripture, which you add into apologetics. Apologetics is simply a tool toolbox. I think culturally it sounds like a good thing. You know, oh, yeah, we should be accepting of everything. So I think 
generally in population, that sounds like a good thing. So when you're talking to people, they don't really understand what that means. Is that if you're saying if you're saying that you are that we have to accept everything, so that that means none of it's true. <laughs> you know, you're you're right. It really, you put it. That's a great point. If you accept it, then none of it's true. What I've noticed since 9/11, and I put this in my book. Remember, I can't, I can't forget to put this in the book. I can't remember I think I think I got it in there. And and and, and I talked about how you realize Christianity became to to decline after 9/11, in great part because we were. We had so many cultural Christians that didn't know what they believed or why they believed it. And so when they saw Islam, they just said, we're throwing religion out the window. That's it. I mean, this is religion, and the best they can offer, you know, gee whiz, the Christians must have pissed them off something fierce to, for them to go and blow those buildings up. You know, and that's... And so you, you begin to see people to blame Christianity because in the name of religion. They just kind of, they said, okay, Muslims, you know, look what they're doing, but it's religion in general. That's why, it, this sounds morbid, but these beheadings are like the best thing. They're not good, but they're the best thing, and this is off the record, notice I turned the machine on. They're the best thing for people to see the truth. Because even Megyn Kelly got up last night at Fox News, and she's looking right at the Muslim who cares. and she goes, it is, I just want you to answer the question. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. I, I didn't ask you to respond to her. I'm asking you to respond to the question. I don't know if you saw that. And she said, and she goes, do you see this in Christianity? Is this Islam? Very similar. You know, you can say he was a crazy guy, but he's not. They're just, they're just acting orthodox. That's all they are doing. And so he just happened to take his faith real serious. You could think of the most orthodox Christian, is what she was saying, and he's going to go in the complete opposite direction. Remember, the opposite of light is, remember, we talked about the opposite of cold is warm and true and false. You know, the bloody, full-blooded murder is, is counteracted on the complete opposite by the blood of Christ that forgives the most unbearable sins. And I think I told my last class, my new friend, I have a Wonderful letter right in my bag from David Berkowitz. You guys, you probably wouldn't know who David Berkowitz is. He was, um, I was in New York visiting my grandmother when he was on the loose. Son of Sam, if you Google him, he was one of the most notorious serial killers. We write each other every month. And um, I met him through a pastor in Texas. And I wrote about David in my book, talking about how serial killers taunt the police with letters and you know they notice how they would you know Son of Sam or the Zodiac killer. What they're doing is they're leaving these clues for good reason. And it gets down to the moral law, which we talk about in natural law, natural law moral law. Where they know in their head two plus two equals four. They know first principles. They can't the worst atheist or backslidden person, they know two plus two equals four. And it gets them that they they don't emotionally they don't feel anything when they really commit murder and rape and serial killing. But in their mind, they knew that it's wrong. And they're, and, they're, and they're like, hey, this is wrong, and you guys can't catch me. Drive me crazy. I don't want, they don't want to be caught, but they're like, listen, I am serial killing, and you 
are not catching me, and 2 plus 2 equals 4 is wrong, and they leave me alone. So this guy said, how would you like to meet David Berkowitz? And I said, um, yes. You know, he's a serial killer? And I mean, everyone was like, you got to be kidding me. Listen, the guy was mentored by Sam Natalie, he's Jewish. By Sam Natalie, who's a very, very well-known Messianic Jew. David Berkowitz, you know, listen to me, David Berkowitz is one of the most solid Christians I know. He knows the meaning of his faith. He lives a hard life. He lives in a maximum security prison up in New York. He is a model prisoner. Google him up now. Since he's been saved, he is actually, he says, I have a full-time job now, Steve. He works with the most vile, psychologically depraved and disturbed prisoners. And I said, David, what a wonderful, what a wonderful ministry. He has tracks. He has tracks. He has his own ministry in prison. He has tracks he gives out. Son of Sam, son of God. Wow. And you know what? I said, David, think about it. Okay. To apply for David's job, okay, you have to be a serial killer. All right? You have to live in maximum security the rest of your life. Um, you have to be a saved person and really understand what you believe because you're in prison. And you have to have a passion and understanding to, to seek the Lord and want to do, to serve your, in your ministry in Sullivan Penitentiary. I said, you're the only guy that I know that can do what you do. And he does. And you know what his big thing with me was? Is he, no one can answer the question about demons. That's what started our conversation. The guy who introduced him to him was a, a very senior, this guy's in his 80s. He's been doing prison ministry for almost 50 years. He says, and he, he came to me, he says, what do you think, Steve? No one really had any good answers. And I went back to my mentor and I picked up a couple books on demonology. And I tell you, I didn't sleep for a couple nights. It's very scary. Really, really, really. And, and I've read some disturbing things. I've never read anything as disturbing as I read on demonology. And I sent, he sent me, he sent me a list of questions. It took me two, over two weeks to answer his questions. And when it was all said and done, it was seven pages single-spaced. And his questions were, he said, Steve, they keep wanting to tell me I'm psychologically disturbed. He says, I'm not. And it's, yeah, I'm telling you, it's not, psycholo it's not psychological. It is demonic. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, David, after I did some research, I said, you, there's sometimes there's mild demon influence always to full possession. But there's a whole bandwidth in between of how active uh, Satan or de his demons most often are going to be active in your life. And so, and then he wanted to know how do you actually, how does that physically work out? Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was just eerie to have to write him back. And then I sent him the book and he said, praise the Lord, I knew of that book. Um, I, and I've been wanting that book for a long time and I just couldn't get it. He says, this is God-ordained. Thank you so much for the book. And, and the funny part is I ordered that book and Amazon sent me two of them. And I thought, why? The guy wanted the book. Why can't he just get the book? I'm thinking, hold on a second. You can't get on the internet. You can't get on Amazon and just order the book. Right? He's in prison. He said he's one of the few people in the prison that they give an electric, electric type of mm -hmm. Like, they don't get that at prison. No. Yeah? Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. So. Thank you all for coming. Sitting in the heat wave with me. <laughs> Any questions? Please go to the go to the website and and if anybody wants to check out any information, the last two talks we have it, a lot of that's in the book. I have brought a few with me.